laughing at you, you're in the same boat as me. And so, um, you know, maybe it's them. It's not us. I don't know. I don't know. Um, also, uh, there's, there's several of my family members in, in here and, and, um, if you didn't know, I'm married, uh, Jenna Austell, now Jenna Jacobson. And so that's a large family. I come from a large family. Many of them are in here today, um, because we get paid per person that shows up. And so this is, this is good for me. Um, large family helps for that. Um, but I'm glad they are all here. And then as, um, Andrew just said, um, Jim is away right now and he's, he's about ready to teach tonight. I think it would be for the I'm not sure what night, like if this is number three, two or three, but he's teaching again tonight. Um, I'm telling you, these trips, if you haven't experienced them or seen them, uh, they are ginormous. And the things that God does on these trips are, are nothing short of a miracle. So um, be praying for Jim and be praying for this Colorado trip. I ask that you pray for Fall Creek Falls. And as Andrew was saying, all the other missions trips that are happening, um, would we do that? I'm going to say that in the announcements today, but I'm, I'm going to say it again here that, that we really, um, we need to pray for each other. So with that said, I'm going to just open us in prayer. If your Bible's actually be turning, we're, we're going to be in John 15, by the way, just so you know. So when I say amen, we can, we can jump right into it, but I'm going to open us in prayer, um, pray for, for Jim and, and pray for our time here this morning. Um, so let's bow before our God. Father, you are holy, 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 and we are not. We are sinful. We are rebellious. We are prone to wonder. And we just come here this morning um, with the desire to praise you. And the reality is we lack the ability to do it. And so we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, um, that you would fill me with your spirit, that, that what is spoken this morning would be true and would be glorifying to you and that it would be received by those listening and that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only. Father, I pray for the same for those, for those senior high students in Colorado right now. Would you just be opening their ears? They cannot hear you unless you open their ears. They cannot see you unless they open, you open their eyes. And so, Father, we beg and ask that for your glory's sake, that you would open eyes and ears this weekend and in this week with the senior high and um, that you would just uh, anoint Jim as he brings your word. Um, Would you just, again, be honored and glorified through all of it? We love you and we recognize that we love you only because you love us first. Father, would you be glorified today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is John 15. As I said, John 15, I'm going to be reading the first 11 verses out of John 15, but just know that we're going to be focusing in on verses eight through 11. So we're going to read verses one through 11, but really focusing in on eight through 11. So, um, just know that I'll read and you follow along. This is God's very word to us. So let's pay attention to it. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Anytime there's a big cultural event, I do my best to try to include it into my lesson with the junior high students uh, because I want the junior high students to actually be able to understand what's going on. I don't want them to be hidden from it. And I want them to start learning how to wrestle through these cultural issues, um, how to think biblically, how to think through these issues. And, and so because that's the habit, um, I'm going to do it in here this morning as well, because there was a big thing that happened this week. This week, we were introduced on the cover of Vanity Fair to um, Caitlyn Jenner. And if you're not familiar with the story, hold on to your seats. Um, Caitlyn Jenner, this, this Caitlyn Jenner is actually a man. Bruce Jenner, you might be familiar with Bruce Jenner. I was not alive when he was in the Olympics, but, but that should tell you how I don't think I'm that old yet, but, but, uh, he was an Olympian. He was a decathlete and a gold medalist. And, and, um, and Bruce Jenner just recently has, has transformed himself into a woman. And I've listened to a couple of interviews with Bruce Jenner because I really want to understand where he's coming from, what's going on, just get inside of his thought process. And, and Bruce has said this over and over again. He believes that to be true to himself, if he's going to be true to himself, to be who he really is, he must become a woman. That's being true to himself. And he even said this, that maybe by becoming a woman, he will finally find his true purpose in life. So interesting. Be, be, I want to be true to myself. I want to be able to express myself. And by this, maybe I will find purpose in this life. You know, I've been listening to, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio, and a lot of these guys are kind of liberal, actually very liberal, and it's very helpful. This is where I kind of get the other side, you know, like, this is helpful for me. And, and on this, these liberal sports talk radio shows, um, I'm telling you, across the board, they have celebrated, celebrated this Caitlyn Jenner thing. And if you don't celebrate it, if you don't, you, you are out of touch, and you belong back in the 1950s. That's what they say. We should celebrate this because this, they say, is progress. Progress. We should celebrate someone who has finally found happiness. Somebody who's, who is true to themselves, has found their purpose, found their happiness. We should celebrate that because are we not all free to be whatever we want to be as long as we don't hurt somebody else? Do we not have that right is that not where happiness, true happiness is found to be able to express myself the way I want to? 
And we're supposed to celebrate that when somebody does. That's what we're told. Is this true? Like, this is what I had to wrestle through. Is this true? Is Bruce Jenner becoming Caitlyn Jenner progress? Is this good? Is this truly the purpose of our life to gratify ourselves and to have freedom to express ourselves however we want? A guy named David Platt recently wrote a book called Counterculture. It's for sale in our book nook. And from what I've read of it, I haven't read the whole thing, but it is phenomenal. Well worth however much it's for sale for out there. He says this in his book. We are swimming. I love this, this, this word picture. We are swimming in a cultural ocean. I love that. Swimming in a cultural ocean that cries out with every wave, gratify your body. But what if our bodies are not meant for self-gratification? What if our bodies have actually been created for God glorification? And even better, what if God glorification is actually the way to experience the greatest satisfaction in our bodies? Love that. Because this is obviously what our culture, our secular culture is missing. They have taken God out of the picture. And of course, then we are left to celebrate what Bruce Jenner has done. Now, let me just say this on the aside. As a people of Grace Savannah, as a believing people, like I want to encourage us as a people to be able to ready ourselves to walk with those who struggle with gender identity issues. Because I believe this is a new wave of Romans 1 coming at us. Like, that God is revealing his wrath and, and, and judgment against our culture. We have turned our backs against God. So he's just letting us go deeper and deeper into our sin. And it's looking like people confused with the, their gender. We must, as a church, be ready and willing to rally around and walk beside people who are struggling. Just like we would with somebody with a porn addiction that's struggling or a marriage that's struggling. We rally around, carry their burdens, like encourage, hold accountable. We must do that here. This must be a place where somebody who struggles, like Bruce Jenner is struggling, to come in and struggle and us to be rallying around them. See, my, my heart, I, have, I really do hurt for Bruce. I do. And for those who struggle with this issue. It's a real issue. But the part that, that, that grieves me even more and honestly angers me, angers me, is how our culture preaches, preaches that joy and fulfillment and purpose can be found outside of God. And who are we to say different? Every year, about twice a year, I say, I think it's about twice a year, a junior high student will come up to me, and I love when this happens, it's kind of random, but he'll come up to me, or she'll come up to me, and, and, and just randomly say, hey, Kyle, what's the purpose of life? I mean, I love that question, and boy, where do you start? You know, it's like, like great. Um, and so what's the purpose of life? And I think we all in here, we've been taught enough to know, well, the answer to that is we, we were created, we were designed. Our purpose here on, uh, on this earth is to glorify God. We exist for him. That's our purpose. But with junior high students, that's not enough because that's just too vague. And so what does that mean? So we exist to glorify God. How does that practically look like in our, what does that look like in our lives? Jesus gives us the answer in verse eight here of John 15. He says this, by this, my father is glorified 
that you bear much fruit. Us becoming more like Christ, bearing fruit, brings glory to God, which ultimately leads to my satisfaction because that is my purpose here on earth. To glorify God, how? By bearing fruit. How do we bear fruit? How do we become more like Christ? Obedience. We must obey. And obedience, as we see in verse 11, we're going to get to this more fully here in a little bit leads to full joy. You see, so, so while our culture is telling us that fulfillment and purpose is found in being true to you, yourself and, and expressing yourself however you want to, as long as you don't hurt anybody, while that's their message, the creator of the universe says, your purpose is to glorify me and you glorify me by bearing fruit and you bear fruit, fruit by obeying and by obeying, our joy is full. So guys, here's the reality. We, we must understand this text that we're going to talk about today. If this is our message to a lost culture, we got to know what we're talking about. And not only that, but if this truly is our purpose, your purpose right now for being alive right now today is to glorify God. If that's true, I think it's wise to know what in the world how do we do this? How do we do this? And what does it look like? Because it's found here in this text. Here's the big point. I don't have PowerPoint because I think I love my this sentence I'm about ready to say, and you'll miss it because I can't put it up on a screen. So that's okay. Um, it's, it's, but this is the big idea for today, and then we're going to unpack this with two points underneath: loving obedience. Which, which leads to full joy, flows out of security in God's love. Loving obedience, which leads to full joy, flows out of security in God's love. While the culture would say something different, they say obedience to yourself, being to yourself, leads to joy and forget God. So let's unpack that. We have two points today found in verses 9 through 11. Two points. I'm going to sh there's going to be a shocking statement that Jesus makes in verse 9, and then he's going to follow it up with a command. That's, the, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do with the rest of our time this morning, just so you know what's going to happen. First, we get to the shocking statement found in verse 9. And before I read verse 9, um, we, have to, we have to do a little bit of a, well, I got to do something before that. Everybody here, I think, if you've grown up here at Grace of Van, you're familiar with indicatives and imperatives, right? I say that to junior high and they, like, they look at me like, almost like some of you looking at me right now. Um, indicatives and imperatives. You grew up here for a little bit. I think you're, you might be familiar with that. If not, let me explain it to you. Um, indicatives. These are statements of facts. Imperatives are commands. And scripture is filled with indicatives, statements of facts, and commands. Uh, commands, imperatives. Scripture is filled with them. And, and you will most likely, most of the times throughout scripture, you will find the indicative, the statement of fact listed or written about before you get to the imperative. Um, usually it's separated by therefore. And so, and so these indicatives, these statements of facts, follow me here. The reason those are listed first is because knowing that these indicatives, they empower us and drive us and motivate us to live out the commands, the imperatives. 
Maybe you're completely lost. Let me try to give you an example. Romans is one of the best examples I can think of. Romans, for, for 11 chapters in Romans, Paul is laying out God's glorious, mysterious, and wonderful plan of salvation. For 11 chapters, laying it out. And then we get to chapter 12, and we find a therefore. Therefore, I beseech you by the mercy of God that you would present yourselves as living sacrifices. See, what happens there is we get these, this, this indicative, these first 11 chapters of God's, God's grace and the gospel. We get 11 chapters of it, of it. And then we get a therefore. In light of this, because this is true, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, the gospel drives us, motivates us, and empowers us to do the command. Hope that makes sense because Jesus is going to give us an, 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 that's the formula here. We get a statement of fact followed by a command. And if we miss it, if we miss that statement of fact, we'll miss it. Parents, I, I, just on the side, let me, let me just, let me just encourage you one way. I, I, I beg of you to do more with your, your children than, than just give them commands because the God does, that, does more for us than that. For instance, if, if you just tell your child, don't have sex till marriage, well, that works, and you can make it sound scary and gross and whatever else, but they get to middle school and high school, and guess what? Sex is pretty appealing. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, the arguments over here seem better than over here. So why do we not have sex till marriage? Well, well, because this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is how he's created sex. Therefore, save sex for marriage. We've got to do that in our parenting. Just as an aside, just coming from a junior high youth minister. Let me encourage you in that. But we get that here again in verse nine, this, this shocking statement of fact. Look at verse nine, will you? Verse nine, let me find in my Bible. There it is. It says this, Jesus says this, as the father has loved me, so I loved you. One of the most incredible statements in all of scripture. I, I don't know if you can find something better than that. Now notice Jesus, Jesus did not say just as. He said as, not just as, as the father loved me, so I have loved you. So let's get the picture here. Jesus is at, the, he's at the, the table in the upper room and he is literally hours away from being arrested. And he's looking at his people, his followers. And he expresses his love, his love for them. And his love for them is a love whose only analogy, only adequate analogy is the love of the father for the son. That's the only adequate analogy Jesus can give for his followers and his disciples sitting around that table. And child of God, listen to me. This is Jesus' words and his message for you this morning right now. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Let's take a moment and unpack that because that is too great of a statement just to blow by. 
So we have to ask ourselves, okay, so how does the Father love the Son? If we're going to know how Jesus' love is for us, we must ask ourselves, how does the Father love the Son? So let me give you a few things. First off, we know that the Father's love for the Son is eternal because God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. His love for his Son is eternal. Therefore, guys, listen to me. Jesus' love for us, he's telling us that his love for us is eternal. It had no beginning point. It has no end point. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose, as, even as he chose in him before the foundations of the world, us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Listen to this. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Guys, before the foundations of the world, Jesus knew you and he loved you. It has no beginning point. It has no end point. It's not an accidental love. It's not like we were born and Jesus like, well, aren't you just cute? For all of eternity past and all of eternity future, Jesus has loved us. Also, second thing, God's love for Jesus, we know it's infinite. It has no bounds, no limits, no boundaries. It's, it's infinite. And Jesus is telling us, his children, my love for you is infinite. There is no measurement. There is no height or depth or width that can sum up, that can contain the love of Christ for us. There is no amount. There is no box. It's infinite. In Jeremiah 31, oh, sorry, I meant to, let's move on for that. That was supposed to be last time. It's an infinite love. In Ephesians 3.19, we are told that Christ's love for us surpasses knowledge. And in John 3.16, we see that God, not just loved the world, so loved the world. There is no measurement to put on it. Third thing, guys, I love this one. God's love for Jesus is immutable, meaning it doesn't change. Why? Because God doesn't change. Therefore, his love doesn't change. Jesus, we are told in the Hebrews 13, 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Meaning, guys, his love does not change. For eternity, Jesus' love has been the same. It does not fluctuate. It does not waver. So the, 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 the way we tease this out, this means that, that it doesn't matter the performance. His love is not based on our performance. It does not fluctuate. When I was working at College Hill um, in Oxford, Mississippi, that's when I was in college. I, was, I went to Ole Miss, and you can boo me or clap. I don't care. But, but in Oxford, Mississippi, I, I worked at a church called College Hill, and I remember a pastor told me. I know he got this from somewhere else, but he told me, and I, I loved this. He looked at me and said, Kyle, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Why is that true? Because his love is unchanging. 
Maybe right now you're sitting there and you're saying, Kyle, I just don't believe that. Kyle, you don't know what I've done, where I've come from, what I even did last night. Need I remind you the context of where Jesus is saying this? He's got a group of 11 men. One's off betraying him. He's got a group of 11 men and they have not done too well yet. They have not done well that night. Just before he says this, they have been arguing back and forth on who is the greatest. After three years with Jesus, they're missing it still. And in a few hours, they're going to forsake and leave Jesus. And one of them is going to deny he ever even knew Jesus. And Jesus, fully aware of that, looks at his people and says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. How can he say that? Because from all of eternity past till that moment, until this moment, his love has never fluctuated, has never changed. It is the same. There's not been one millisecond that Jesus' love for us has wavered or changed. Oh, that's freeing. Finally, also God's love for Jesus. He has a holy love for Jesus, meaning that Jesus has a holy love for his people. God's love and Jesus' love for us is not like our love. It's transcendent. It's in a class all by itself. He defines love. We don't. It's a holy love. Jesus says to his followers and to us this morning, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Some of you might be thinking, well, well, that's nice because Jesus, (laughs) I fall into this train of thought for some reason. Jesus is kind of like the the nice person in the Trinity, you know, like Jesus is the sweet one and the father, he's kind of the mean one, you know, and uh, Jesus is always like sweet and loving and friend of sinners and God is like throwing down floods and like, it's like, whoa, like, like, and deep down inside, I really would love to have the father's love for me as well. I would love to be secure in that. Or two things, if you fall in that camp at all, because I can fall into that. First thing, Jesus, everything that's true of Jesus is true of the father. Jesus reveals the father to us. But second thing, and don't miss this, if you just flip over like a page in your Bible to John 17, verse 23, a few minutes later, Jesus is gonna pray a prayer. And in John 17, verse 23, he prays this. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me, and look at this, and love them even as you've loved me. As the Father loves the Son, so the Father loves His people. Take a moment and just let that wash over you for a second. That love just wash over you for a second. Maybe for some of you in here, you're like, I simply, Kyle, I simply can't believe that. There's no way that can be true. There's no way I can be loved that much. Because as believers, we have just a small hint, a small idea of how sinful we are. And we have just a small glimpse of how holy God is. Kyle, Kyle, there's no way that a holy God could love a sinful creature like that. How could that be? I have no idea. But I go back to a song, that the first song I think I learned in my life. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, see, Jesus explicitly 
tells us, tells us of his love. We are not meant to just walk around this life hoping we're loved, trying to guess if we're loved. Jesus is not playing hard to get with us. Like, ooh, if you obey, here's more love. No, no, no. He's saying, I've loved you. I love you more than you ever even dreamed to be loved. And if you want proof, talk is cheap, right? If you want proof, a few hours later, Jesus will hang on a cross, voluntarily laying down his life for his people, taking God's wrath and taking my sin out of love. The father, as Jesus is on the cross, is demonstrating his love. It says that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling against God, he sacrifices his son for us. Do you know that you're loved? Do you believe that right now? You know, um, when Jen and I were getting married a, a few years back, we had to do um, marriage counseling with Dr. Young. Did not turn out as bad as it sounds. I know that, you know, you hear that and you're like, you. Yeah, I mean, there's some yelling, some spitting, but it, it turned out okay. And, and um, I remember him looking at me and he's like, Kyle, what do girls want? Or like, what does your wife want? What's her greatest need? What's Jenna's greatest need? And I'm sitting there and just kind of like, I don't know. I feel like I'm about ready to get the wrong answer. I think he's setting me up. And, and, um, and what's, the, what's, what's Jenna's greatest need in marriage? What's uh, the wife's greatest need in marriage? And I was like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. <sighs> Leans forward. Security. She wants to be, she needs to be secure in your love. Guys, I think we all in here long, long to feel secure in the love of God. Long for it. And I want you to know that Jesus is telling us we are more loved than we dared dreamed. Well, Kyle, wait a minute. Like, you have no idea how hard my life has been and how God must be doing. He must not love me that much because look at how terrible my life is. Look at how much I'm suffering. I've been suffering for months and years. There's no way God loves me. He's just getting back at me for something. Quickly, I want to address that. In verse two, we get our answer to what's going on. We see the, the father is described as the vine dresser and every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? He prunes so that it will bear more fruit. Guys, if you're in the midst of suffering, just know that this loving father, what he's doing is picture a vine dresser tenderly and carefully looking at each and every vine. And he notices on one vine, there's, there's a hindrance, something that's keeping this vine from producing more fruit. So he takes out the knife and he cuts away the hindrances so that we could bear more fruit. Why would God do that? Because guys, we just said bearing more fruit means we glorify him more. And by glorifying him more, we are more satisfied. Only a loving father would take a knife and cut away things. I know some of us in here right now are want to cry out, God, enough. Please stop. But only the expert vine dresser knows exactly how deep and how long to cut away. Rest in his love. Only a loving father would do that. Application point, guys, we must daily convince our sinful, doubting, prone to wonder hearts of this love.
because we're prone to forget it. How do we do that? We must daily have communion with this God. And by the way, daily communion, not just to check a box, not to just to check the box for good luck for the day or that God might love me more today because we have his love. No, because we got to remind our doubting hearts, God loves me this way. I spent a long time on that point because, and we get to our second point, this command and response to the statements. Jesus gives us the statement and then he gives us a command and how we're supposed to respond. Look at verse nine. It says this, at the end of it, it says this. Abide in my love. Okay, abide in my love. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, how do we do that? What does that mean? I can even answer that one right. Look at the next verse. If you keep my commandments... You will, you will abide in my love. Now, real quick, do y'all understand now why it's so important that we get this indicative, this statement right first? We get this down first before we move on to the command? Because just left to this command, obey me. I'm left with a life of just drudgery and discouragement. Without this security in, in his love, then when I fail, I run and hide out of shame and discouragement because I don't believe I have his love anymore. But that's why he gives us this statement first. Or, or if I don't know this statement first, of this love, then when I actually do obey, I kind of puff up my chest because I now think I've earned something from God. No, no, guys. We cannot abide in Christ's love if we forget his love. How can we abide in his love if we don't know his love? If we don't remind ourselves of his love? We can't. And so that's why we are told. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love by keeping my commandments. Oh, now all of a sudden, my obedience is a loving obedience. It comes out of security. And guys, I'm telling you, what a more wonderful Christian life that is. This whole thing of purpose and satisfaction is found in that. Loving obedience. And let me tell you this right now. I'll confess this to you. Every day I wake up and I recognize I don't love God enough. And so that's why my prayer is, thank you for loving me. I need help loving you more. Because when, I, when I'm secure in his love, all of a sudden now my obedience, it's joyful and loving obedience. And I'm not running when I sin and I'm not puffing up my chest when I do good because of his love, we must drive this into our hearts. And look, verse 11, let's, let's try to finish this up. This kind of obedience, this abiding in, in, in Christ's love, this loving obedience, look what it leads to. These things I've spoken to you, what things? The things we just read. These things I've spoken to you that, you're, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Loving obedience and abiding in Christ's love, it leads to full joy. Guys, some of us in here, let me tell you this. While God's love for us does not change, our enjoyment of it does. Maybe some of you in here have not experienced the love of God in months, maybe even years. Let me ask you, let's, let's talk. Let's, let me ask you a question. What does your life look like? What does it look like? 
you're, what, what do you expect to live a life of disobedience? Of course you can't, you're not gonna enjoy the love of God. Or maybe for some of us, you're like, well, I still have, I'm still married, haven't, haven't had an affair and just trudging along. Wake up every day and I try hard and I go to bed and I hit repeat the next day. But love of God, I don't, I don't know that. That's where the whole communion part, we must remind our hearts of the love of God to experience the love of God. Guys, this is our purpose. This is our fulfillment. This is what it looks like. Our purpose in life and our fulfillment in this life is falling at the loving feet of our God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm yours. That, that is fulfillment and that, that is satisfaction. And that is what our lost culture needs. Our lost culture needs, Bruce Jenner needs to know that there is a God who offers salvation in Christ. And our dying lost culture needs to know that satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose is not found in doing what I want to do, but doing what he wants me to do. And what does he want me to do? Well, first, he wants repentance. He wants faith. And he wants loving obedience, abiding in his love. That is our message. That is our message. Let's, let's do that this morning and call other people to it as well. Let's pray. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond our measure that you would give your only son to make this wretch your treasure. Father, your love it, it is beyond our, our knowledge and our ability to grasp. Would right now, through your Holy Spirit, would you convince those in this room that need to be convincing of your love for them? Would you convince our doubting hearts of it, Father? Would you draw us closer to yourselves in your love? Will we be a people that obey you and love obeying you? The reality is that we are helpless on our own. Left to ourselves, we will, wa we will wander away, we will disobey, we will rebel. And so, Father, we're asking you that you would help us, give us the ability to love you more in a way that we will obey you more. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us guessing and wondering and doubting. Thank you for that, Father. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for allowing me to be here this morning. Truly always a pleasure.